What is up, Bitcoiners? This is CK. I am joined by a prolific content creator, coder, just an all-around fantastic Bitcoiner, someone who has really hit the scene hard since 2018, Max Hillebrand. Welcome to the podcast. Well, hello, hello, CK. Thank you very much for the invitation. I'm looking forward to the great conversation here on the Bitcoin Magazine podcast. You've guys been rocking it throughout the bear market and really produced a lot of great Bitcoin content. So, so thanks for all the education that you and the team do over there. Yeah, I feel like you, Bitcoin Magazine, and you know a lot of a growing number of Bitcoiners are really part of this bear market army that you know made 2018, 2019 not feel so bad as the price was depressed. Yes, absolutely. You know, I've I've done one pipe cycle in 2016-17, and that was kind of crazy, right? Because of all, all all what was going on, so so much so much fire all of a sudden, and of course a bunch of scams and, and uh, just missed missed projects. However, I really loved building during the bear market. All the hype was gone. Uh, only the dedicated people who really wanted to achieve something were, were left. A lot less scams, at least for me in my close bubble. It's just a, a huge thrive to build something, and I think we've achieved quite a lot over the last couple of years. So kudos to, to everyone contributing. Yeah, kudos to the Bitcoiners out there. Bless up, truly. So Max, I want to get into, you know, what is your, you know, wh- who's behind Max Hello Brand? What's the history there? And what are you currently doing with your time as a Bitcoiner? So my background is in Austrian economics. That, that was something that was a huge passion of mine from an early day on. Just because I wanted to be a more profitable and more productive entrepreneur. I wanted to achieve my clients and faster and quicker and, and with less capital employed. Thus, I was always curious to to learn more about this, the study of entrepreneurial action, which very literally is praxeology and, and the Austrian school of economics. So this is where I draw my foundations even before I discovered Bitcoin. But obviously, understanding the importance of a sound monetary asset uh, was a great uh, foundation for me to then discover Bitcoin and realize what potential this technology has. And and since discovering Bitcoin, I've fallen down a lot of this cypherpunk crypto anarchist rabbit hole to really see new and cutting edge tools uh, that, that we can build to and use today. So to defend individual private property, this is the angle that that I'm really interested in to to explore more and uh, to contribute in in building these weapons of defense. And this is what recently over the last, uh, let's say, happening, I have been focusing on a lot of education and a lot of building. So let's talk about, you know, one of the big projects that you're involved with. It's ZK Snacks and the famous Wasabi Wallet. Why don't you kind of give us an intro of what's your role there and what you're working on? So I started using Wasabi very early on back when it was still called Hidden Wallet and more proof of concept, hacky project by Adam. Then he did a whole architectural redesign and the whole company set up and, and a big change. And that was then Wasabi Wallet in early 2018. And this this was I continued using it and I found a bunch of bugs and I thought of features that I would like to have in the wallet. I just contributed with, let's say, product management, maybe. So a lot of seeing what developers are working on, testing their stuff and seeing if it breaks anything or if it actually fixes. Uh, and then uh, also more and more then got involved into the research uh, because this was something that that in the past I just really loved doing and specifically to find nuances in Bitcoin privacy models and then analyze them and, and hopefully improve upon them. 
Uh, this is something where I was really thriving in and uh, that, that I really like to do. Then naturally also some education that was with a bunch of videos and, and written documentation. As this is useful. The more individuals understand how to use Wasabi properly, the higher is the coin join anonymity set that the service provides. And therefore, the better the privacy, including for me. So this this was my, my reasons to, to work specifically on education for Wasabi. With all the contributors there, we've, we've done quite a monumental job. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, out of like Wasabi Pine really pioneered this non-custodial coin join model prior to that mixers really where you send a mixer to a trusted address, you know, they're going to give you new Bitcoins back. And and really like, you know, seeing Wasabi evolve, you know, it is really kind of the main non-custodial mixer right now. Can you kind of just talk about that growth from, you know, hidden wallet to where it is today? Oh, yes, there was a lot of growth. I remember very much the early days of Hidden Wallet, <laughs> because back then there were almost no users. Obviously, Adam was running the software all the time, but no, very little people were doing it. So you saw that there was a coin join timeout of, of one week or when five anonymity set is reached. So if five users get online within a one week time period, then we get a coin join. And sometimes it happens, <laughs> but it took a long time. So it was it was really barely any users. The the Tor connection was was pretty bad and and was breaking up all the time. It was just wasn't that refined of a production ready piece of software yet. Though then more and more we we just saw uh, you know new users coming in. And the nice thing with Wasabi is so there are users who just use the software. And then there are also coin join clients who pay a company service provider to perform this coin join coordination. So we, although it is very difficult, obviously, for free software to evaluate the number of users that we have, what we can very clearly see is the quantity of Bitcoin that paying customers use in the coin join mechanism. And, and this has grown tremendously over the last couple of years. First, it was, you know, maybe 10 Bitcoin a month or then it jumped to 300. But by now we have roughly 10,000 fresh Bitcoin entering the coin join. And so fresh Bitcoin are coin join coins that have not yet been previously coin joined. So these are not yet private coins or rather new users who come in with fresh money to, to the coin join. And this is at roughly 10,000 plus minus every month, which is a substantial number. Uh, and when you even include, for example, remixes or like the users who gain even more anonymity set by doing multiple rounds of coin join then we are at roughly 40 to 50 thousand bitcoin every month which is quite a substantial amount i would say so so yes it's it's been quite a successful project i would say um though join market obviously is very worth noting here in in as a, as a pioneer and, and an excellent project in the space yeah i mean when i first started in bitcoin there was zero coin join implementations and now there's wasabi samurai dojo and join market so it's very exciting to see this evolve and just love watching the privacy you know as you said weapons of privacy and defensive you know weaponry that you're working on i, I love seeing that being developed for bitcoiners and bitcoiners getting options one of my favorite things about Wasabi is not even really the coin join functionality, but it was probably one of the best wallets for just using your hardware wallet on, you know, up until a few months ago. You know, Wasabi was by far the best single SIG wallet that you could use just on your desktop with your Ledger, Trezor or cold card. So it's really a multifaceted piece of software. 
And absolutely, I agree. And and finally, I know many users of Wasabi who are not clients of CK Snacks. So they use Wasabi for all its numerous benefits without even doing a coin join uh, because of multiple reasons for, uh, for it. So this is definitely a, a large user group who just sees the value in Wasabi. And as you said, you know, out of the box, it comes with very strong privacy guarantees by default. You know, for example, just the way that it handles Tor with multiple independent Tor streams and Tor identities who are renewed for every major action that is taken or or the, the aspect that the wallet never leaks your extended public key or, or any address to an outside trusted third party, uh, but rather uses cutting-edge BIP-158 block filters, or that it is SegWit by default and only since day one, which is fantastic, right? And as you said, the hardware wallet integration is one of these major improvements that, that um, happened after the project started. And really kudos here to Andrew Chow and the Bitcoin Core process for producing the hardware wallet interface, HWI, which Wasabi packages in binary form in the source code. Uh, this, this is a phenomenal tool that, makes it, that made it so easy for developers to integrate and to maintain one software package that then guarantees compatibility with all other hardware wallets that are compatible to this, which is a, it's a very nice way to, to collaborate in this open source and free software process. Yeah, absolutely. And just kind of staying on the tip of, you know, new things in Wasabi, I saw that yesterday, a new, you know, a new company is now also providing coin join coordination outside of ZK Snacks, and they're also doing it within the Wasabi wallet interface. Can you tell me a little bit about that partnership and, and how, how that came to be? Yes. So first off, Wasabi is free software, and that is both the client code as well as the backend server code. Since day one, this was published under the MIT license, and anyone, including myself, could use this code to run a coordinator. It is literally one command line, .NET run in the right folder, and you run a Wasabi coordinator. It's, it's trivially easy, and it's very useful, for example, on RecTest or in TestNet, where, so testers do run their own coordinators frequently. Though obviously any other company can come along and run this coordinator too. And this is what happened with a project called Chain Case. Chain Case is, is um, an effort where mainly Dan Gold, a, a great C sharp developer, is a friend of the Wasabi and CK Science projects. He is working on a mobile client for Wasabi. So he did it in quite a genius way that he packaged the entire Wasabi wallet source code, which by default is only compatible with uh, with desktop platforms. And he ported it to a different framework and did some magic with it. But now this code runs on iOS. So you can have a iOS application that is a full Wasabi client with all the benefits, including all the incredible Tor integration, all the network level privacy, and also, of course, the coin joins. Now, in order to smoothen the development process, what Dan did was to start running his own coordinator, just because he can configure what route he wants to have. So instead of having the large 0.1 minimum denomination that the CK Snacks coordinator provides, he chose to have a, a one order of magnitude lower of instead of 10 million, 1 million sats, so 0.01 Bitcoin. This is the minimum denomination for the service, for example, and, you know, smaller anon sets and so on. And the thing is now anyone who has a Wasabi client can connect to, the, to this coordinator and do coin joins with it under these conditions that the coordinator provides. Uh, and it's it's been quite successful so far, I would say. That's awesome. And I mean, honestly, it, it's kind of a shock that it took so long for someone else to per start providing coordinator services, given how successful Wasabi Wallet has been so far. Yes, I would really say so. I was a bit surprised too.
Uh, because again, it is so easy to do. You know, it, it can be rather profitable after a short extent. One of the things, of course, is a maintenance burden running such a public service. The, the CK snack servers are under, under constant attacks of all types. So, so th there must be some good engineering to solve these issues. Of course, there's a legal battle to consider. Right, because all of a sudden you're a company providing a service to clients, and that ought to have well-defined company structure and private property rights or contracts, namely terms of service and stuff and such. And these are these are to be considered too. Right, so it's a bit reckless to just run this anonymously over Tor, although it is of course possible. But but yes, there are some nuances to consider, but I'm glad that we see more individuals taking this up, proving the Bitcoin privacy ecosystem with a variety of services that are provided. So you bring up some interesting points around like maybe some challenges preventing people from spinning up these kind of services. But I mean, as I see us, you know, kind of moving into a more crypto enabled future, a future that's kind of been described in books like The Sovereign Individual, I could see you know, a lot of anonymous people just starting to provide these kind of cryptographically based services, like being a coordinator, without considering, you know, a lot of the like legal framework that you discussed. And I know that Adam took very seriously as he was launching ZK Snacks. Absolutely, very, very much. You know, for CK Snacks, the two CEOs of the company and co-founders are lawyers. So they are an important part of the team. You know, it's it's a nice layer of defense also for the developers to have ease of mind uh, that they can focus on code and don't have to worry about bureaucracy. But then to the aspect of anonymous coordinators, we see this already. Join Market is doing exactly this. These are anonymous coordinators in the Join Market software. They are called market takers who coordinate a coin join according to their own specific ground parameters. So this is happening already now with anonymous Tor streams and IRC identities. And Join Market excels at that. Wasabi takes a different trade-off. So Join Market is this full censorship-resistant, decentralized peer-to-peer -peer discovery mechanism, which is very difficult to implement. And kudos to what the peers at Join Market did. It really is a beautiful piece of software. But Adam wanted to focus on a centrally coordinated coin join implementation that improves on some, you know, stability, efficiency, and and such types. But of course, this is a central point of failure. So one of the things that we've considered seriously is how to make CK Snacks obsolete, right? So so how do we make sure that if CK Snacks ever needs to shut down or gets shut down by by an extra uh, external force, how does the project survive and thrive? And this is why it's so easy to change your coordinator in the Wasabi desktop client. It's literally only changing one .onion URL in the configuration file to, for example, the Chaincase coin join service provider, uh, and you use this to to their rounds and specifications. And and hopefully with Wabi Sabi, uh, we can improve this in the future even more so. So Max, I want to transition fully into our next topic, which is crypto anarchy. I think that you've been one of the most outspoken evangelists of living a like living. I would say like a, a Bitcoin life, you know, living off of Bitcoin strictly, really thinking about your privacy and trying to act as though you're a sovereign individual. Can we kind of talk about your influences and your motivations behind pushing this kind of lifestyle and what future are you seeing and trying to building with with Bitcoin and this kind of technology? 
So in general, I think I was an anarchist for all of my life. These root fundamental principles are very deep within me. Though, of course, it took me a while to realize it and to refine my understanding of of this concept. And of course, it's an ongoing process. So so one major step was was reading Murray Rothbard's For a New Liberty, which is a beautiful fundamental piece on on ethics and and private property rights and individuality. Uh, so it's it's a great great book that that I really loved and that helped me so much to refine this argument of my individuality and my right to exist and to defend myself and to manifest in the most beautiful shape that I can. Uh, and of course, Bitcoin even further improved that. You know, I, I realized that running a Bitcoin full node fundamentally is to define your own private property rights that you want to live by. Specifically, by choosing which software to run, by choosing which node implementation to run. And for example, if you choose to run Bitcoin Core, then you choose these specific private property rights definitions that are inherently in the consensus code. And of course, you can change them and run something else. It's free software. Though as soon as you run this code, you will query out to other peers uh, on the network and you will see what rules they follow. And, and if they break the rules that you have defined, then you enforce your own rules and throw these peers out of your network and disconnect from them uh, because they are just playing by different rules. Uh, they choose different private property contracts or, or rights fundamental. And this is what is so beautiful about Bitcoin is, is this really is this individual claim of what is yours. You define it by yourself and then you enforce this claim yourself without using a trusted third party. If you have the private key to a public key and you have to find that a certain Bitcoin UTXO is locked up in, t in this public or with this public key, then you, anyone who has the knowledge of the private key can make a just claim to that UTXO and transfer it and, and spend it to whatever addresses is chosen. This is this, the, the, the beautiful individualistic nature that, that Bitcoin emerges that I very much fell in love with. Max, let's start talking about, let's talk about, you know, what is crypto anarchy? Can you define it for the audience? So crypto anarchy for me is a strategy uh, that utilizes cryptographic tools. Um, so mathematics and tools of cyberspace and information. So to defend individual property rights and thus achieve a point of anarchy. Anarchy comes from the Greek with a prefix N meaning without and archon meaning rulers or masters. So anarchy is a state where the individual is not ruled over by another. He is the full sovereign in himself, a sovereign individual. He has the power to defend himself and to defend what he claims is his. So crypto anarchy is a strategy to reach that. Uh, and and this was specifically one specific use case that, that early crypto anarchists uh, saw as this tool was specifically private public key cryptography, where the individual can generate a secret that is so randomly chosen that it is impossible to brute force. And by having exclusive knowledge of a secret, uh, you can you can do magic stuff with, uh, for example, encrypt communications. And this is something very important that is inherently to privacy. Privacy is the the aspect that the individual has a free choice to selectively reveal himself to the world. So the individual can or has the power to prioritize different options on how to reveal himself, on how to interact with others, on what to tell others, on what to reveal or show to others. And he chooses the most optimal for himself without coercion being at play. 
So he's not at a gunpoint where he must tell his secrets, otherwise he gets shot. And this aspect of free choice and what to reveal yourself inherently includes utilizing tools of defense so to enforce that claim of freedom. And private public key cryptography in the sense of encryption is exactly that. If you encrypt the communication to a certain public key, then you, you strongly enforce, so you define and you enforce that this information is only readable to the individual who has the secret knowledge of the private key corresponding to the encrypted public key. Gotcha. I mean, that was a fantastic, fantastic breakdown. Can we talk about like what crypto anarchy looks like when it manifests itself in real life? I guess you yourself are living maybe in a a very light state of crypto anarchy. Most people are not living in any sort of anarchy whatsoever. You know, what does what does the future that you're working towards look like to you? I would kind of push back on that. I think that anarchy is a very large default in one's life. And also privacy is a very large default. And for example, a very banal case here is that when you close the door to the bathroom while taking a shit, you are living in crypto anarchy. You enforce the power to selectively reveal yourself to the world until you choose to close the door, meaning to not reveal yourself in this activity of taking a shit to everyone outside, right? So this is crypto anarchy, very applied every single day, though, of course, some focus more on this than others. Uh, and, and the question is, why is the strategy chosen? Why is the strategy of privacy such a profitable one that many individuals choose to use it? And quite frankly, it's to protect against theft of, of private property, because being private means to very early inter- interrupt the attacker. If the attacker does not know that you have a Lamborghini and a thousand Bitcoin, right, then he will not come with a five dollar wrench and hit you. But as soon as you flash your Lamborghini and, you know, go and find tailored suit, then all of a sudden you will be mucked in the dark alley and they steal your Bitcoin. So this means that having a private life to to carefully choose what to tell to others is something that is very cheap to do very often, and it has a very large benefit. And thus, it's an asymmetric defense. It's cheap for an individual to use, but it's very expensive for an attacker to break. This is, again, what, for example, private public key cryptography is based on. Very, very cheap to generate a private key and encrypt a message, but very, very difficult to forge a signature or to break the encryption. Fantastic. And again, thank you for the for kind of the breakdown and the explanation. So I guess talking about this idea of defensive technology and really that's what encryption is, right? It is trivially easy to spin up a wallet. It's trivially easy to to encrypt a file, but it is exponentially more difficult to brute force and break that cryptography. It's exponentially more difficult to, you know, to to analyze the entire blockchain and 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 find people as they are, you know, spinning up these new addresses and they're spinning up new wallets and and wallets and and you know doing things that are cheap for them, but it makes it extremely expensive for a government or an attacker to to try to crack down on them. Can you break down this idea of like defensive technology a little bit more and maybe even talk about you know some of the defensive technologies outside of specifically Bitcoin that people should be looking into. 
that's that's such an interesting alley to to walk down uh, because you know fundamentally these technologies are very difficult to use aggressively and i mean aggressive in the sense of initiating force against the private property of a peaceful individual who has not initiated the force right so force itself can be aggressive meaning initiation of force or it can be defensive meaning applying force to defend against the initiation of aggressive force. And it's, uh, of course, for example, a gun can be used for both. You can use a gun to slaughter innocents, or you can use a gun to stop the amok uh, and and uh, kill the attacker. But for example, with private public key cryptography, I mean, you can defend your claim to have uh, private com- communication or to prove uh, identity with a signature and stuff. And this is just free speech. So this is inherently a right to do, just as any right to speech or mathematics is. So this is very difficult to abuse and to use aggressively. And the same with Bitcoin. Bitcoin is used to define the property rights so that only the only when the claims or only when the definitions of the property rights are fulfilled, the coins can be moved. And this is great to define your own property rights and defend it against outsiders. Right? So when only you know the private key, then nobody else can spend the Bitcoin. And Bitcoin excels at this. If you think about it, not a single Bitcoin has ever been stolen. Because according to the consensus rules, only if the, the, the script signature is valid according to the script or the script hash, only then can you spend this, this UTXO. And in the entire history of the time chain, since Genesis, there has not been a single transaction that spends a UTXO without providing these proofs, right? So there, there was literally not a single case in the current uh, Bitcoin blockchain of theft. And each single transaction was done on a exactly as it was defined. Now, maybe sometimes an individual uh, all of a sudden leaked his access keys, right? So a hacker copied the private keys. And then the hacker had the private keys and could sign a signature, right? And that happened multiple times, but that's not theft. That's copying information, and information is non-scarce. Copying it is not theft. You don't take it, you just copy it. And then, according to the Bitcoin consensus rules, as soon as you have the knowledge of the secret key and you can produce a signature, you can spend the coins. So it is, according to Bitcoin consensus, not a theft for the hacker who has copied the private keys to take the Bitcoins. So even in that sense, no single theft in the Bitcoin time chain, which is uh, staggering, because this proves that Bitcoin is a defensive technology. It cannot be used aggressively to take private property. So let's let's tease this out a little bit more and kind of compare the property rights that Bitcoin gives you versus maybe the property rights that uh, a government legal system will give you, just to kind of make your example of of no theft on Bitcoin feel a little bit more real, right? So in the United States, for example, it is illegal to steal from another person. It, like it is illegal to violently take their property. Obviously, the government kind of does that and they live outside the law. But, you know, within within that legal system, it is illegal. But yet in the United States, there's theft every day. There's people who are taking property every day. And if you were to compare that to the Bitcoin system, the Bitcoin system has rules of its own, just like the legal system does. And in your example, the Bitcoin system, as long as the rules were followed, the coins have never been been moved without, you know, outside of out those predefined rules. So obviously, you know, coins were stolen in meat space. Po- coins were stolen from a person or an exchange, you know, within, you know, our meat space framework. But within the Bitcoin framework, a, pri- a valid private key signed a public key and moved coins. 
you do you want to like add on to that at all yes again very very interesting right and maybe to define it again as to define the property rights or, or to claim something is yours and then having the force to defend that claim right so so this is basically if, if you have a car let's say in the incumbent fiat empire then if you want to claim that this car is yours of course you could just have a paper contract and say this is my car and that's it but then you are the only one who applies the force to defend this claim because you did not ask the government for permission for this purchase so contrarily if you would go to the government and say hey i've purchased this car now i want to register this in your database so that you know that i claim that this is mine right and so the government says okay i acknowledge and i give you permission to to be in my book of ownership records right and these databases exist for all types for cars you know it's these paper slips for for houses it's it's notary systems and and all of these so th this type exists where the government keeps a record of who claims who is like what is whom and then if you get violated in this so if an individual steals the property if the individual takes it and claims it with and you think that it was not a just claim then you can go to the government and complain and if the government agrees with you you will have the full force of the government to defend your claim of this good and you can go with the whole bureaucracy and, and sue that attacker or eventually you will get government police tanked rolling down and, and trying to defend that depending how much you are in the bureaucracy but, but as you pointed out it is always possible for a defender to 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 violate your claim and to take that stuff unjustly and then you have to come to the government and back for permission to help after the fact now let's compare this to bitcoin right where we have again a definition of what is yours very upfront basically every transaction defines an output script and or and this output has a script and an amount and the amount is how much bitcoin is in this utxo and the script is the property rights definitions that have to be fulfilled so that this coin can be spent so this is the definition of who owns what in bitcoin context the script of the output and then it if you can you can claim and utilize this asset specifically in the sense of money you spend that asset right you make a transaction but you're you in order to make that claim of using the asset you need to provide the proof that you fulfill the definitions that were set in the script and this you do with for example in a basic sense where the script is a single public key and then this the script signature is literally a signature of a public key or signature that is valid to this public key and only if you have the signature in the spending transactions can you gossip the, this transaction to the full notes and and they will accept it as a valid claim of ut of usage on this utxo and again there has not been a single case where a valid claim has been denied or where a wrong claim has been considered valid and, and this is quite a substantial achievement because again bitcoin enables this very cheaply very efficiently and not um, as an after the fact basis it's not that when you when someone steals from you that you have to react it's that by default you are well defended and there's just no way that a that an attacker can can steal these bitcoin which is a great course of defense so kind of bringing this conversation full circle to CoinJoin before we wrap it up, in the United States in the 40s, Act 6102 enabled the U.S. government to confiscate known gold and, inf and 
you know, essentially forced all citizens to to give up their bullion to the government. There are a lot of people who fear the current way that people are obtaining Bitcoin right now through massively KYC exchanges will enable governments in the future to do something similar and 6102 people's gold or uh, Bitcoin instead of their gold into the future. Can you talk a little bit about how important it is to remove your identity away from your Bitcoin holdings and, you know, how that information just existing in the public, like what that does in terms of compromising your ability to protect your, your property? And absolutely, that's such a such a very important point because again, the government is a huge attack factor. It's it's a gigantic mafia that has a lot of capital available to focus in an attack against you. And so, defense against such a, a high level of attack is very difficult, and there are l- several layers to it. So, what we can see as out of the historical example of what happened with Order Six One Hundred Two is that both any so they they went of course obviously immediately to the banks. And any individual who had gold in a banking deposit box, of course, got confiscated instantly. So let's apply that to Bitcoin. If you hold your Bitcoin in a custodial KYC account, as soon as the government enforces such a rule again, and they will, obviously, then they will go first to the central custodial service providers and tell them, if you don't give us all your client money, we will shut you down and we will fill you up with bureaucracy and all kinds of attacks. So most entrepreneurs will cave in to the fascist empire. So, so this is one example, right? And of course, the other one is the record keeping that the governments had access to of who owns how much gold. The initial, uh, the initial versions of these, of these rules often come just with not give us all your gold, but just tell us how much gold you have. So for example, how, how Hitler did it. Before he confiscated all the gold, he first made a survey of all the individuals on how many, on how much gold they have. And then as soon as individuals told that, because it's part of their national duty to report their wealth, then as soon as he knew about all of them, he knew exactly on which doors to knock to get all the gold and physically take it. So th- this this is, of course, a, a huge problem. And again, how does this apply to Bitcoin? If you have leaked all your purchasing have history to a centralized um, or exchange that knows your KYC identity, then the government can and does go to these central providers and tell them to exactly show how much money each individual has bought at what time and so on and to which addresses they have deposited them to if they took it out of the custodial wallet so the government exactly knows how much money you have or how much how much bitcoin you bought and further where you initially withdraw them to and then spend them uh, so that's a huge problem too so obviously to earn your bitcoin anonymously meaning that you do not leave an easy to confiscate record of your purchasing history and of course to keep as much of this private as possible this is very very important because otherwise an attacker knows how much how much bitcoin you have which obviously which obviously makes an attack much more likely awesome max Thank you so much for coming on the show and breaking down these very nuanced topics and mental models. For the Bitcoiners who want to learn more about you, Wasabi, and your other work, where can they find you? 
Well, first of all, thanks, CK, for, for the invitation to the show. It really was a pleasure to talk to you. And again, you do fantastic work, including all the peers at Bitcoin Magazine to educate. But that's very, very important and great that you do it. It's it's important work. And to where people can find me? Well, for me personally, it's towards liberty.com, which is an archive of knowledge. Oh, it's also stuff of natural or of Austrian economics, Bitcoin and natural law, uh, individualistic philosophy. So this is for sure a, a great place to reach out. Then specifically for Wasabi Wallet, obviously download it and try it out at wasabiwallet.io and check out the documentation. It's quite a thorough, it's, it's pretty much a book by now. Uh, over a year of work with 30 plus contributors, it really is is a monumental archive. I'm very proud of it. It's, it's, that's at docs.wasabiwallet.io. Explains a lot about the nuances of, of privacy in general, why it's important, and, and the specific privacy nuances in Bitcoin and how Wasabi can be used to fix mistakes of the past, which is quite nice. So yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Again, CK, thanks very much for the invitation. Yeah, I'm definitely going to be checking out TowardsLiberty.com. And I too am a big fan of all the work you've done. When I first got onto Noddle, first started messing around with Wasabi, you were my number one resource. So thank you. And I don't know if you remember, but we actually hung out in Riga before Baltic Honey Badger. And I think we took some exotic shots together. So I, I definitely have that memory ingrained in my head. Yes, absolutely. That was a fun time. I, I really enjoyed the Baltic Honey Badger uh, tribe gatherings. They were fantastic. And I do remember hanging out with you there. And and honestly, the, the parties at the Honey Badger are legendary. <laughs> I don't know what it is about Riga, but it's a beautiful place to go on a bar crawl, walk around the nice city. Uh, so there are many, many good memories and of good Bitcoiners there. Uh, it was really fun meeting you. Absolutely. Well, thanks again, Max, for joining. For the listeners who haven't checked out Bitcoin Magazine YouTube and the Bitcoin Magazine podcast, please make sure to like and subscribe to find more amazing content and more amazing Bitcoiners just like Max. Cheers. A quick reminder that all of the content in this episode is for informational and entertainment purposes only. You should not construe the information as legal, tax, investment, financial, or any other advice. Nothing contained in this presentation constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, or offer by BTC Media, the Let's Talk Bitcoin Podcast Network, or any third-party service provider to buy or sell securities or any other financial instruments. Do your own research. Thank you.